0: Hello everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, our speaker is Dr. Bill McAlpine, and he is continuing our Lent sermon series titled Lament, Repent, Renew. Bill has served on our elder board here at Southview, and before retiring, he was a professor at Ambrose University. For our Lent project this year, we're going to be partnering with international workers Ian and Rebecca to build and furnish a pediatric ward. Ian and Rebecca live and work in North Africa and in their city, over a third of the population is under the age of 15. The hospital currently sees 800 to 1,000 young people per week and yet there is no pediatric ward to meet their needs. Added to this, the majority of the population lives in poverty, and cannot afford the care that is needed we're excited to join with ian rebecca and our goal is to raise fifty three thousand dollars throughout this project you can visit southviewchurch.com to get a breakdown of how you can partner with us the best way to know what's going on at southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast Or you can go on Realm and join the group, Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, May each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together.
1: Uh, Now we'll read Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5, of David Amaskal. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped, as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity— I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the word of the Lord. Hello everyone, the Lord be with you. Well, it was nice to see you for a few seconds, but now I don't see a thing. However, glad you are able to join us, and it's a delight to be able to share in this ministry with you, dear folks. And just before we turn our hearts and our minds to the word, I'd like to pray a brief prayer and invite you to join me in your hearts. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, Fill me. Use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. By your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to ask you a question, and it's simply this. What makes you happy. You know, a scientific survey was recently conducted that asked that very question. Well, when I say a scientific survey, I mean I posted the question on Facebook and got 12 responses. I got some interesting responses, everything from people who said, what makes me happy is my walk with Jesus. I asked my grandson, he said, hmm, playing basketball? and be with my family. I have a very good friend. She said what makes her happy is sitting in a room filled with creative people thinking new thoughts. And I have a very dear friend. Some of you will know him. He's on the mission field in Thailand. And you know what his answer was? What makes him happy is getting eight birdies in a round of golf. Well, what makes you happy? Well, you may be wondering and I is thinking, well, wait a minute, Bill, this is a, this is a series entitled Lament, Repent, and renew. <laughs> oh, what does happy have to do with that? That's well, a great question, and I'm trusting that it'll become clear as we consider yet another portion in God's Word together tonight, a psalm that has been read, and thanks, Maddie, for reading for us. It's a psalm in which I think David gives a clear indication as to what his answer to that question would be just by way of review and to plant us into where we are, in case you haven't been with us. Two weeks ago, Sam introduced us to this series by talking about the concept of lament on a personal level, lamenting for our personal sin, and he took us to Psalm 38, one of the seven penitential psalms we have. Last week, Sydney guided us in thinking about lamenting for a broken world through the lens of Habakkuk chapter 1. So, today our focus is going to turn to that second emphasis in this series, and that is repentance. And in particular, repentance for our own personal failures and needs. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, to do so, we're going to look at one of the other seven penitential psalms that's been read for us in Psalm 32. And I think one of the things that I want us to notice from this, that comes clear in this psalm, although the word repentance never really specifically or explicitly shows up, the essence of it is clearly here. And I trust that one of the things we're going to see about this is this, that true, authentic repentance will focus primarily on Christ, on who he is, what he has done, what he will do. Psalm 32 apparently was one of the favorite psalms of Augustine or Augustine, whoever you pronounce his name. Apparently, he had it engraved on the wall next to his bed near the last few days of his life. And as much as we'd love to dive into the whole psalm, we're going to look at the first five verses. And as a roadmap for our thoughts, let me suggest the following three. We're going to notice, first of all, the blessing of forgiven sin. Secondly, the cost of hidden sin, and thirdly, the assurance of confessed sin. The blessing of forgiven sin, cost of hidden sin, and the assurance of confessed sin. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalms 32, let me just read them again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You'll notice... As Maddie read it in the title, it's called a mass kill. It's a liturgical or musical term, most likely indicating a psalm that was to be sung, but also a song that was intended to instruct or teach. We would call it a didactic song for the purpose of teaching others. And in the first two verses, as we read them, you might hear something there that is reminiscent, something similar to... the. Jesus said, say, and on the Sermon on the Mount, or, you know, possibly the Beatitudes. Now, the interesting thing is that both the word that David uses in Psalm 32 in the Hebrew and the word that Jesus used in Matthew 5 in the Greek is similar in that they're both in the plural. Meaning what? Meaning we have a, wet, a feasible way of translating it is to, "Oh, the blessednesses. Or as one writer said, oh, the bundles of happiness, the mountains of delight. Okay, who is this person that has all these blessednesses, this, these mountains of delight? David used the same word earlier in Psalm chapter 1. But in that Psalm, the person who is pronounced blessed is a person who lives an upright and righteous life who doesn't walk, stand, or sit in the wrong places, who delights in the law of God, meditates in it day and night. By contrast, when we come to Psalm 32, David is writing as a person who has not lived a righteous life. The blessedness has not come to a person who's been a diligent law keeper, but rather he has been a, he's failed as a law breaker but as a lawbreaker, one who has experienced the incredible mercy and the forgiveness of God. As Charles Spurgeon says, self-righteous Pharisees have no portion in this blessedness. Okay, David, what gives you reason for this blessedness? What makes you so full of this sense of happy, blessedness, joy... First of all, notice in verse 1, he said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, if you'll bear with me for a minute, I love doing word studies. We won't do them long, but we've got to look at the significance and the nuance of these words. The word transgression here denotes a breaking away or a rebellion from God. And the word forgiven has the connotation of being lifted up or taken away, taken away out of sight. It reminds us of the words that that John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, lifts it off, takes it out of sight. David reminds us later in Psalm 103 the extent of this forgiveness when he said this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. Now, Why didn't he say, as far as the north is from the south? Suppose I had a globe here, and I had my finger on the top, on the North Pole, and I started traveling south. How long would my finger travel south? Till I got to the bottom, and then at the bottom I started traveling what? North. But put my finger on the equator, and start traveling east, In how long do I travel east? Indefinitely. He's speaking of infinitude. And David said, oh, the blessedness of a person who knows that God has taken their sins and removed them in infinitude. He says, secondly, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Now, sin's a different word. It's a word that means missing the mark. It actually is like an archery mark. You aim at the target, and whether you miss it by half an inch or shoot 180 degrees in the opposite direction, you miss the mark. And what about that? Now, notice he does not say, blessed is the one who covers their sin, but whose sin is covered. Covered by another. By whom? By God himself. Now, that concept of covering would be very significant to David's original hearers. Because you see, the word atonement, in the Hebrew, the word is kippur, and it means covering. Say that word with me, kippur. Uh, Sorry, I had a Clyde moment there. He always wants us to repeat words. (laughs) I won't do that anymore, sorry. Anyways, the word atonement is the idea of covering. And some of you, we have Jewish friends. What's the highest... Feast of the year, Yom Kippur, Yom meaning Day of Atonement. What happened on the Day of Atonement? Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrificed lamb. He would approach the Ark of the Covenant, and on that top, there was an area called the Mercy Seat. And he would pour the blood of the sacrificed lamb so that it covered the mercy seat. So that when God looked down, he did not see the sins of the people. He saw the mercy seat covered, atoned with the blood of the lamb. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. And thirdly, he says... Blessed is the one against whom the Lord does not count iniquity. And again, iniquity is a different word, a slightly different nuance, all talking about sin in broad terms. But this speaks more of a depravity, a twisted. comes from the word twisted, moral distortion. It's been suggested that the first two words, transgression and sin, are going to be that which is manifest outwardly, whereas iniquity has more to do with the internal, the defilement of, of a person's soul, reminds us of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's an assumption in David's psalm as he talks about the blessednesses, and that is what Paul said in Romans 3. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The blessedness that he speaks of does not belong to the person who has never sinned. For the simple reason, there is no such person on planet Earth. There never has been, save one. That is Jesus. And this person knows what it is to be forgiven by God. Oh, the blessednesses. I think, folks, we need to understand sin sin is a complex, multifaceted thing, but there's one thing I I think we need to understand, and that is sin has more to do than just what we do or don't do. It has to do with who we are. A lot more we can say about sin, and it seems like if we're talking happy, we're spending a lot of time on the negative, on sin. Well, Well, we're getting to that, but here's one thing I've learned about sin. Sin always always over-promises and always under-delivers. Well, understand what this means, folks. David is not saying that this forgiveness of God makes us innocent. It's not about us. Repentance is not about us primarily. It is about God, who, despite the fact that we are not innocent, treats us as though we were looks on us as though we were completely. And then David says this, this person is blessed in whose spirit there is no deceit. King James says guile. There's no hypocrisy. There's no faking it. There's no hiding it. There's no deceit. There's no lying. Here's a principle about sin. Deceit becomes the mother tongue of the one who's caught in sin. Anyone who has dealt with an addiction either on a personal level or in the life of a loved one will know that's true. Their modus operandi, our modus operandi becomes deceit, lying to cover up, and then lies to cover up the lies to cover up the deceit. But David said the person who is blessed, blessed is one who has no need to cover up because they know they are forgiven. The blessing of forgiven sin But then in verses 3 and 4, David turns, changes the mood and content a little bit, and this is what he says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David provides a window through his own experience. And rather than describing he What he does is he describes his life, what his life was like when he tried to cover up his sin. When he did what he had said earlier, there is no deceit. David knew what it was to live a life as a deceit, to try to cover it up, to keep it a secret. What happens when we do that? And Proverbs 28 tells us, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And David uses a vivid language here. Talks about basically the heaviness of God's hand. You know, if you, if you'd love, I'd love to do a study sometime on the hand of God. There's much that scripture talks about at his right hand and with his hand. You know, when he, David said in Psalm 8, When I consider the stars they're the, in all this, the heavenly bodies, they're the work of your fingers. Out there. But here, David is talking about the heaviness of God's hand. Now, that may sound rather like an oppressive, angry God punishing this recalcitrant sinner. But if we see these verses in the context of this whole Psalm, and if we see these verses in the context of all of Scripture, I want to suggest that this is not a God who is going to make you pay, you rebellious sinner. Rather, this, the heavy hand of God, is the work of a God who longs for union and fellowship with us. And if being heavy-handed is necessary to soften our hearts to get our attention, then he will do it. Because he longs for us. I find it interesting how often we're tempted to rail against God when life turns south, when adversity and stinky stuff comes into our life, and we start talking about God then. Why would God do that? And that's a God of love? Okay, can I ask you the question? When life is good... And when you're blessed out of shape beyond what you deserve, do you, quote, blame God for that? Well, a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the joy of listening to our son Tim preach. He's become one of my favorite preachers, I'm just saying. And in his message, he said this, God sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And then David drops this word, selah. What's up there tonight? You know, what's selah mean? Well, it depends what Hebrew scholar you go to. Some would say it comes from the picture of a scale, weighing things. It means to balance. Think about it. It was used musically, and I, I think I remember Brett telling us about this one. If he didn't, he should have. Anyways, but it means to pause. It's a pause in music. So think about what we've just been thinking. So David drops this Selah in there. choose 71 times in the Psalms, three times in Psalm 32. So, so what does he want us to think about? Well, he wants us to think about this. The blessing of forgiven sin, but the cost of hidden sin. And that moves us in thirdly and lastly to the assurance of confessed sin. Verse 5. Again, David is speaking through his own experience when he says this, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I wish we had time to dig into this, but really, what is David saying? I acknowledged my sin. It comes from the word to know. It means I'm aware of. I recognize my sin, but it also has the connotation of to make known. I'm making known my sin to you. Who? God. It's not as though God didn't know about this. He wasn't enlightening God, wasn't telling him something that God didn't know. So that when he opened up his heart to God, he wasn't... um, My guess is some of you have had the experience of being frank enough, taking the risk and opening up your heart to someone about a sin that's in your life, and maybe you've had the response of, whoa, wow, that's bad. (laughs) God doesn't do that. God never says, oh, I never saw that coming. But So it wasn't for God's benefit that he acknowledged his sin. It was for his own benefit. And he said, secondly, I did not cover up my iniquity. See, earlier he said, I'd kept silence. And that was miserable for me. But I came to the point where I said, I will not cover up my iniquity. David was willing to be completely transparent And thirdly, he says, I will confess my transgressions unto you, unto the Lord. I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 5, he uses the same words that he used in verse 1. He talks about, in just a different order, transgression, sin, iniquity. He cites them all. He says, I will confess my transgressions, which means I will agree with what God thinks about, and God says about my sin, not what other people may say. Well, Bill, you're only human. Or what I may say to myself, I'm not that bad. Confession is to the soul, says one writer. What a whetstone is to the knife blade. It sharpens it and gives it an edge. And I would say refusal to confess has the way of working opposite, dulling the sensitivity of our spirituality. So then what does this repentance entail? I think, as I said, the the word is not used, but David's describing repentance here when he says, I acknowledge my sin, I refuse to hide or cover my iniquity, and I confess my transgressions. Folks, that is repentance. Repentance, the word means to rethink. The French verb penser is in the middle of it, to penser, to repense, to think again, to think as God thinks. And there's no explicit mention here in Psalm 32 about what sin is David talking about, sins in general? Well, some would say this is probably a companion psalm to Psalm 51, which David wrote in response to the ministry that Nathan had by confronting him about his adultery with Bathsheba and the arranging of her murder. Can you imagine? And David says after that, you, and that word you is in emphatic form. It's like underscored, bold print. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. What do we learn from this? Let me suggest, I think we learn that David's repentance and confession, folks, did not earn him forgiveness. It put him in the position where he could receive it. The forgiveness God longed to give to him. And after that wonderful affirmation of the assurance of confessed sin, David once again says, Selah. That's what we need to do. You know, I think David began this psalm with a triumphant, confident beatitude. The assurance of his confessed sin were completely, completely forgiven. That's what gave him all these blessednesses. So what have we seen? We've seen the blessing of forgiven sin, the cost of hidden sin, and the assurance of confessed sin. But the question is, David, but how is that possible, really? How can a righteous, holy, omnipotent, omniscient God extend mercy and grace to a broken world, to me, How can he do that and still remain a righteous God? I remember talking to a friend of mine, and that was his problem. He said, Bill, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've done. I'm not sure I can worship a God who's willing to forgive what I've done. Well, here's the thing, folks. God is often willing to do what we're not willing to do, and that's forgive us. Well, how is this possible? That's why we need to come to this table. To remind us this is how it's possible. This is how it's possible. And you know, I think in a lot of ways, I look on our communion time as a selah. This is a selah. Let's take these moments to weigh, to ponder, to think about what we're going to be doing. You know, I know of no other gathering, I know of no other gathering that is more precious more sacred, and potentially more powerful than what we're going to be doing here. And I know of no other verse in Scripture that capsulizes the essence of the heart of the gospel that we're declaring when we do this than what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Some of us, probably a lot of us know it, but listen to this. Let's make this a selah when Paul says, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. Think on that. What did he mean by that? Here's what he meant by that. When Jesus hung on that cross, folks, he was the spotless, sinless, perfect, holy Lamb of God who never for a nanosecond was a sinner. But God the Father... looked at Christ the Son as though he personally had committed every sin every human being had ever committed. In other words, folks, when God looks at Jesus, he looked as though he had lived your life and mine. And then he turns around and looks at you and me as though we had lived his One writer has said that when God looks at the cross, he sees you and me. And when he looks at you and me, he sees Christ. Here's my concern. I've been drug up on this. I know this. I, I could quote 2 Corinthians five twenty-one when I was 13. My concern is, folks, we get so used to it. We get so underwhelmed with the wonder of God's forgiveness in response to our repentance. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know. Giddy up, cowboy. Go, flames, go. So a question I've been asking myself during these days of Lent is this. When is the last time I have been awestruck by the forgiveness of God? You know, every Thursday morning there's a prayer meeting, Led by Fernando, we meet at 6:15 in the prayer room. Men's prayer meeting, just over here at 6:15 Thursdays. Did I say the time? It's 6:15 on Thursday mornings. All men, welcome. Come and pray in the prayer room, over here at Thursdays. Um, and we would walk out from the church, and we look across over that landfill, and the sun would just be rising. And there have been days when we all of us are standing, going, "Oh, we're gobsmacked." And I asked myself, when did I feel that way when I just thought about the fact God in heaven forgives me? I don't want to get used to that. And so in this Selah, if you could be kind enough to take the, the container that you have, received as you came in, and as you do, I remind you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that which also I received of the Lord, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, take, eat, this is my body, and it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have your cup, I'm going to invite you to, we'll do this one at a time. If you can peel that top off and pull out that small wafer, a symbol of the body of Christ. And as we take this, folks, may we give thanks in our hearts for the fact that Jesus was willing to be made sin so we can be made the righteousness of God. Amen. Let's partake together. In the same manner, Paul says, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new testament of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, you proclaim, you you preach the Lord's death. How long? Until he comes. So if you can be careful enough to peel back that top once again folks this is the blood of christ that covers us we are covered in the blood of christ receive from him let's partake together with thanksgiving you know there's a uh, There's a wonderful verse in Matthew chapter 26, 29, and Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and he says this, I will not drink this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, that seems to say to me that for all eternity, we're going to be doing something like this. We're going to be drinking a cup Not just remembering Jesus, but being with him. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Like, how is he going to be with us? There'll be billions of us there. (laughs) There'll be a new experience of withness. Can't imagine what it'll be like. But I know what it won't be like. We won't be peeling tops off plastic doodos, that we will be just in his presence. Won't that be amazing? Won't that be amazing? And the reason we have that to look forward to is because he's extended to us the gift of repentance through which we can receive his forgiveness. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Would you stand and receive this benediction that I'd love to pray for you and for me? And now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, listen, blameless, to present you blameless, like you had lived the life of Jesus before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord to whom be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. Have a marvelous week.